Hi, I'm Jade, and this is the season finale of On Their Way Season 1. Can you believe it's been 10 weeks already? I certainly can't. It's been such a fun time, and I really learned a lot about podcasting and myself. You know, this season was a love letter to my university, Howard University, but it was also a love letter to the ingenuity and excellence of my people, and I'm just so proud of everyone I interviewed and everyone who's like them. I am so happy. I am so glad that I got to do this, but... I don't want to get too sentimental, at least not this early in the show. (laughs) So heads up, the season finale of On The Way is coming right at you. And remember, this is a WGC production. Starting in the church, Halo Wheeler began leading songs with the church choir. From there, she went on to be named the 2010 winner of the McDonald's Presents the Gift competition, and thereafter, the 2011 Museum of Urban Arts Youth Entertainer of the Year. She's opened up for famous singers such as Frankie Beverly and Mays, Chrisette, Michelle, and Kelly Price. Halo has also released her very first CD entitled This Is Who I Am in August 2014 and is currently writing and preparing for her second release. She graced the stage in many productions such as Little Shop of Horrors, Ain't Misbehavin', Once on This Island, Guys and Dolls, and The Drowsy Chaperone, and many more. One of her favorite roles is Young Seely in The Color Purple. Halo was awarded the Gates Millennium Scholarship, which funds her education until her PhD. With this scholarship, she enrolled at the illustrious Howard University, where she majors in music business with an emphasis in jazz voice. Her latest release, La La La, is a fun summertime R&B gem about love. Halo gives all of her glory and honor to God for all the many things that he has done in her life thus far. She looks forward to where her journey will take her in the future. Hey, Halo, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well. I'm really excited to have you here. I must say, I like your music and I like your work. So this is exciting. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So I'm just going to launch right into the first question, the first question I ask everybody. Where are you from and where are your roots? I am from Birmingham, Alabama, right here in the South at the heart of where the civil rights movement basically began. So I have a lot of roots in just the history of the city. I love being here. I love living here. Okay. And when did you find out that music was what you wanted to do? Music has been a part of my life from a very young age. I would say since I was about seven years old, that's basically when I knew that music was it for me. Uh, I, what, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I sang a, I, I led a song with the church choir uh, at that time. And when I was on stage singing, I just felt free. I felt at home. I wasn't nervous at all. It just felt like it's where I was meant to be. Wonderful. And from that time in the church choir to now, how do you, how would you describe your development? How would you describe your music and artistic development over this over the the time that you decided that music is what you wanted to do? Yeah, my parents have been very big supporters of my dreams, my craft, and my goals. So once they realized that music was basically it for me, they really started to put me in different programs to help develop my craft. So starting very young, when I was in elementary school, I was a part of a lot of ensembles. I was a part of an ensemble called Make It Happen, where we learned basically the basics of theater, stage right, stage left, you know, those types of things. And Mm -hmm. then I started to do small productions from there. And then in 20, I believe 2011, I started singing with a jazz band and we did performances all around the city. So, I mean, I can definitely say that my experiences in those situations have definitely been my teachers and experience has definitely been my biggest guidance and things during my development. 
Yeah. Well, that sort of opens up two questions for me. So I'm going to just do the first one. So you mentioned how in part of your development, what sort of helped you along was a theater camp. And I know in your bio, you said you've been in shows such as Little Shop of Horrors and The Color Purple. So I would like to know, is musical theater still something you want to do? Because I personally know you as a singer solely. So is theater still something that you that you want to be a part of and are passionate about? Oh, absolutely. Little Shop of Horrors was actually just last year. Oh, um, so Yeah, so musical theater is definitely one of my passions, and it's something that I definitely want to be able to dive into. I, I wouldn't call it my, my sole purpose on this earth. Like, I have friends who are theater babies. Like, <laughs> theater is everything that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't call myself a theater baby, but it's definitely something that I like to reach into every now and again because it's so much fun to be able to play different characters and singing the Singing in a different style is always a challenge for me as well. So, Okay. And then my second question from that first answer that you gave was, so you mentioned how you were in a couple of jazz ensembles. And personally, I know that I first found out about you and your music through the Soul Sisters, which is, for our listeners, a three-person jazz trio. Fantastic. But um, <laughs> so, so how does it differ working with an ensemble and then working as a solo artist? And can you just talk to us about what that sort of dichotomy is like? Absolutely. Working with a group is always fun. It's a fun challenge, though, in that, especially with the Soul Sisters, we are three individuals that come from three totally different backgrounds. And in a lot of ways, our musical styles differ as well. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge for us is to be able to blend all three of those styles. Of course, we have moments where our interests overlap, which always help us. But we have three different voices, three different styles. And so just working together to blend ourselves into one sound is definitely challenging. And then also with being in a group, it's, it's almost a humbling experience in a way of that it's not all about you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're singing on stage, you can take as many liberties as you want because, you know, there's no one else depending on you, but possibly your band. But when you're in a group, you have to do things as they are rehearsed for the most part because you have you know, two, three, four, or however many other people, depending on you to do the things that you rehearsed. So I would say that those are the, those two things are the biggest differences in being in a group and and being by myself. Okay. Okay. That's understandable. And you mentioned that you, that sometimes in a group, your artistic styles can differ. So can you kind of describe to us what your artistic style is? Yes. So I am neo soul r&b and gospel all the way those are my (laughs) biggest (laughs) biggest influences i mean i started off in the church so of course gospel is is at the foundation of that of course and then moving on into when i started with the jazz band so i have a a lot of jazz influences because i'm a jazz student now as well Mm -hmm. but i would say that my heart lies with r&b and neo soul Some of my favorite artists are like Jack, Jill Scott and Lettucey and Anita Baker. So just those classic voices, that's that's really what I gravitate to. That's interesting because when I was listening to La 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 this afternoon in preparation for this interview, Anita Baker did definitely jump to mind. So it's, it's interesting how your influence is so powerful in your actual work. Thank now, you. Absolutely. Yes. Now, one thing that I did want to ask was, what do you sort of do to warm up before you perform for an audience? Like, what are your pre-gig rituals? 
Ooh, if you have this any. is a fun question. Yeah, uh, actually, I do. It, it differs from performance to performance because, uh, you know, just technical things happen. However, I would say on the day of a gig, I'm definitely going to wake up and I'm going to be listening to music all day. However, it's not going to be the music that I'm performing. So if I'm doing an original set, I'm going to be listening to everybody but myself that day. <laughs> um, just because I want to start pulling influences and ideas from other places. So I start there. I also just try not to answer my phone. For the most part, I put my phone on do not disturb on gig days because I just want to stay focused. I want to be in the zone, you know, at all times. Other than that, I make sure that I warm up my voice like a lot because usually on my gigs, I'm screaming and hollering and talking and laughing and rapping and, you know, doing whatever comes to mind (laughs) when I'm on a gig. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to be able to use the totality, like use all of my instrument. And just to go along with using all of my instrument, I also like to make sure that I'm like fully warmed up in my full body. So if that means me doing yoga that day, if I have enough time, then I might do, you know, me a 15 minute yoga situation or just some stretches, something to get my body ready to be active. Those are pretty much my pre-show rituals. All right. And I actually want to talk about a show that you did do. So on March 10th in 2020, you performed an hour-long concert at the Millennium Stage, which is in the Kennedy Center. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes, the full video, because they have it up. But can you just sort of talk to us through what that process was like? It was a fantastic show. So can you just sort of talk to us about like, how it got organized and what it was like doing it and the entire thing in general? Thank you. Um, Yeah, of course. So the Millennium Stage show, wow, it came by surprise. I remember I was driving home a few months prior and a friend of mine called me and was like, hey, would you be interested in doing something on the Millennium Stage? I'm like, would I be interested? Heck yes, (laughs) sign me up. (laughs) It's the Millennium Stage. Um, And so the process began. I wanted to do my show very differently. I like to stick to my roots. So I wanted to make sure that I brought all of my uh, musicians that I'm used to gigging with from Alabama. So I was able to work it out with Kennedy Center. They were super, super nice and super cooperative. I was able to bring my entire band from Birmingham, Alabama to D.C. to perform a show with me. Now, that's amazing. As uh, absolutely as amazing as it was, it was the most stressful situation ever because (laughs) (laughs) because there was really no time for us to actually rehearse. I'm going to be honest, like I believe they got in there. They got in town the night before the show. Um, so, I mean, we were up running that show for hours to make sure that we got it right, those entrances and exits. Because one thing about the Kennedy Center is that they aren't letting you go over your time. So if they're giving you an hour, they're cutting your sound at, you know, at that hour mark. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that we were staying within the parameters that Kennedy Center gave us. Um, so we ran that show into the ground, honey, and I did not care how tired they were. <laughs> because I am just a huge perfectionist. But the show turned out absolutely wonderful. The energy was super amazing. And I think it was just such a blessing because this was the last show that the Kennedy Center had before COVID. So this was like my last big performance before the world shut down. So mm-hmm. the Kennedy Center show was has been one of my greatest blessings uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I also want to go to a different show which happened post-COVID which Mm -hmm. I was pretty interested in. So on July 23rd, 
you did Black Girl Things, which was like a virtual concert of sorts. So can you talk to us about how you came up with that idea and then how you implemented that in this virtual realm that we're in? Absolutely. So once COVID hit, um, as you know, most people know, artists and creatives, we, we took a big hit because we weren't able to sing at these venues because they were closed. I knew that I wanted to capitalize on the fact that everybody's at home. You know, people don't have a whole lot of lot to do or a lot of opportunities to, you know, be engaged. Mm. So I came up with Black Girl Things. Uh, me and a few creatives in the city, we sat down and we planned. I knew that I wanted to celebrate Black women. I mean, this was right when Breonna Taylor, when the Breonna Taylor incident had happened. And I, as a Black woman, was fully enraged. And so I wanted to put my politics and my art together and just celebrate who we are as Black women because there are so many facets to who we are and what makes us amazing. And so I wanted to definitely highlight that during Black Girl Things. So on top of the performance, I also wanted to include video elements within the performance as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I separated the show into four segments and the segments were named after the elements, fire, water, air, and earth. And I took these four elements and I connected it back to the black woman experience. So if you ever get a moment to just watch it, I have one of the segments out on YouTube as well. But Black Girl Things was amazing. I was able to collaborate with different businesses in the city, different musicians in the city. So, wow, it, it, that has been my greatest performance blessing post-COVID. So it's, it's <laughs> really amazing that you were able to to highlight both of those things. So, yeah. Yes, of course. Well, I, I try to be, comp- we try to be comprehensive here at On Their Way. But, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you've mentioned it a couple of times about uh, your roots in Birmingham. So I want to know, after you graduate from Howard, do you want to go back to Birmingham? And if so, what's the music industry like there and how do you plan to integrate into it? So the music industry, I'll start what the music industry is like in Birmingham. It's very R&B. It's very, very R&B. It's so my scene in the sense of that. I, however, think I want to move. Honestly, I want to experience a new city. I've been gigging in Birmingham since I was about 11 years old. And so I feel like, I have almost, if you will, reached the bounds of my performance experience in the city. So I want to be able to branch out a bit more post-grad to another city and, and see what it has to offer. But the music scene in Birmingham is is quite rich and upcoming, actually. We have a lot of new venues in lieu of COVID, actually. We have a lot of new venues opening and musicians doing a lot of different things in the city to help singers and, and everything and everyone advance forward. So I love the music industry here in Birmingham, but I think it's time for me to branch out and fly a bit in a different city. Hmm. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you've been gigging in Birmingham Birmingham since you were 11 and that you've been singing in some capacity since you were in single digits. And you're you're 20 something years old now. So mm-hmm. I want to know, how are you keeping up this sort of stamina because that's a long period of time to be dedicating your life to to a specific art form. You know, it's just the passion. The passion is definitely keeping me keeping me moving forward because there's always something new that I can reach for and something new that I can aim for and you know, even though we're in this testy COVID season, there's even new things that I could attain to or, or reach for technological wise. Like, so the virtual show Black Girl Things was my 
tester, if you will, for the COVID season. So now I know I can do something virtual. Let's blow it up even bigger. So I think it's definitely the passion that's driving me to do more and more and more over these years. Okay. So it's the passion that's driving me to do more and more, but still in music, it's a kind of high octane environment. It can be pretty stressful. It can be personal. So I just want to know, how do you, how do you maintain and care for your mental health as an artist in the music industry? I go to therapy. Okay. Listen, listen, I have a therapist, honey, and she is good to me. <laughs> okay. And, but also just, just to be honest, there are moments when I go dark. I, I cannot stress enough how important it is to take brain breaks from things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are moments where I just don't post on social media like I should, or there are moments where I just have to kind of step away. And I take those moments to really, really assess my mental health. So I do a lot of journaling in that time. Times when I've stepped away, I'm usually writing a lot. So that's usually what I do to take a break from the stress because it is extremely stressful. There's a thousand people trying to get to this one. It feels like there's a thousand people trying to get to this one goal. And so there are times where I am down. There are times where I don't feel like I am enough, but I just take those moments to step away. Like I say, journal, write, pray, get back centered. That's extremely, extremely important, especially in this COVID season. I keep bringing up this COVID thing because it's so, I mean, it's here and it's mm-hmm. its affecting everyone in, in, in totally different ways. So yeah, mental, be, taking care of your mental health is extremely important. Yes, yes, it is. Now, one thing that I did want to know. So you write your songs, the songs that you sing, like La La and Body Heat. You wrote those as well, yes? Yes. Okay, so could you walk us through what your songwriting process is like from conception to production to music video to post? Absolutely. So every song is different, I will be honest. But with most songs, I'm given a beat already. I work with a producer out in Huntsville, Kelvin Wooten, with Blue Ten Productions. And... Usually we sit together in the studio and he's like, how you feeling today? <laughs> he's like, how you feeling today? What, what you want to, what you want to accomplish today? And so we'll start rapping. We'll talk a bit. And based on our conversations, he'll start creating music. And it, it's the most amazing thing to watch, honestly. And then once he starts creating the music, it's like simultaneously I'm writing and he's creating the beat and so it's a collaborative effort he'll throw some ideas out there hey do you like this lick and I'm like eh, let's try something different okay what about this lick okay cool let's put it in so it's it's a very step-by-step process but we're simultaneously working as I write he's creating once I get in the studio when we lay those vocals down I think it takes about it might take about four hours to get the song completely tracked out and ready to go then we'll do another session where we'll do the real vocals. And then after we do the real the real vocals, he begins to mix and master and depends on what his workload is. But about two weeks later, we have a song. Yay! <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a very quick turnaround, you know, depending on, you know, what everybody has going on. But then once I have the song, I usually release my songs before I release the actual video for the song. So I let the song kind of get some play and to see how everybody's feeling about it. You know, it may not need a video. Uh, You know, every song may not need a video. So for the songs that I do decide to do a video on, uh, I work with TL. That is actually, he's a Howard grad with Mm -hmm. Mecca Filmworks. Um, Mm -hmm. And we sit down and we conceptualize. We sit down and we talk about storyboards, visions. What do I see for the song? What does he see for the song? And 
you know, we collaborate. And I think the best thing about creating songs and videos and all those things is the collaborative effort. I'm able to sharpen my ideas against their ideas and see see what type of creative efforts they're bringing into the process as well. So that's always fun. But yeah, once TL and I, you know, get the storyboard and the vision, once we start fundraising, <laughs> once we get that money right, it's time to make a video. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And once we get that video done, I give him his time to edit or whatever. And once that editing is done, we release that video and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, one of the things that you said is that you really enjoy working with the, the team in the collaborative process. So how do you go about creating a strong team? How have you done that in the past? Definitely networking. And that's something that I know I have been taught and has been beat over my head since the moment I stepped onto Howard's campus was just Mm -hmm. learning about your network and 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 strengthening your network and so I took that very seriously throughout my entire life I've taken it very seriously so just connecting with different people on campus connecting with different people via social media I've even fostered some relationships you know just via email reaching out to certain people so just being observant of the work that they put out and if that's something that I feel like that could be useful in my toolbox, then I reach out to them and we try to create a business or a personal relationship. So yeah, definitely that's how I've been able to collaborate with so many amazing people, just not being afraid. And I can say to the listeners out there just to not be afraid to step out there and actually reach out to people because there are people out there, there are resources out there to to help you and that want to you know pour into you and give back. Hmm. Well, thank you. I hope that helps. I hope that helps somebody who's listening right now. Now, one thing I did want to ask you about was your YouTube channel, which you started. Well, not started. It's been going on for some years, but I've noticed you started putting out videos that are more typical of what you'd see on YouTube, like mukbangs or fashion hauls or things like that. And so I want to ask, uh, what brought about these new video topics and how do you create YouTube videos that, um, no, let's go with the first question. What brought about your, your shift and your focus in your YouTube channel? Yeah. Well, I think my peak I think where I really wanted to start putting out new videos was sometime last year I I saw this craze about mukbangs and I like got obsessed with kind of watching them (laughs) and then I just kind of realized like I could do this I like to talk you know I love to eat (laughs) so (laughs) why not try it and then of course the self-doubt rolled in and I was like you know what no that's not for me let me just stick to singing And then COVID rolls around and I'm like, hmm, let me try something new. You know, I mean, why not? Why not try something new? So then I just began to plan and execute. And here we are with the new YouTube channel. And (laughs) I'm one of those creatives that likes to try whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like if it piques my interest, I'm going to step out there and I'm going to try it because you never know. You just never know. And so far, the YouTube journey has been interesting. It's a different world than you know, standing up and performing, but it's so fun. Like, it's so fun to be in front of a camera and talking. And I, I really enjoy that. I think um, during Black Girl Things, I actually interviewed someone and I realized like, wow, I like interviewing people. It's good. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. Like, it, it's it's actually kind of fun. So mm-hmm. um, I just, I have really enjoyed my journey of just, trying new trying new things within the realm of entertainment it's it's really been peaks and valleys but overall it's just been a great experience with just jumping into new things 
Mm. And I want to pick up on something you said in that comment and then something you said a little earlier. So you mentioned how like the self-doubt sort of kicked in and you thought like, oh, I can't do this until COVID happened where you're like, why not? And then you mentioned (laughs) earlier that sometimes self-doubt creeps in when you go dark. And so I'm sort of wondering, like, how do you combat that self-doubt? Because I know that's something that a lot of people, I I personally struggle with. I know other people do too. So how do you, how do you work through that? So through two two ways. My first way I combat that self-doubt is definitely words of affirmation. I am that girl. Like I have to stand up in front of a mirror and I'm like, no girl, you can do this. And this is exactly how I talk to myself in the mirror, you guys. I'm like, no girl, you got this. Don't, don't, whoever that is in your mind, you need to squash her because she's not telling you the truth. This is not the truth. You can do this. I I am not the person who can read off an affirmation. So I make up my own. I talk to myself as if I am my own personal motivational speaker. Okay. Like girl, you got this. That's my first way. Secondly, I've created a really, really great circle and village of support. When I'm feeling those moments of self-doubt, I have other creatives that I reach out to. My mom is someone else I reach out to. My sisters. Those are people that I reach out to and I'm like, okay, this is what's going on right now, guys. This is how I'm feeling. Like, I don't think I can do it. And of course, they're as your circle of support, they come back and they're like, no, you can do this. You were made for this. You know, I get scriptures. I get quotes and all kinds of things jumping in my phone once I reach out to my circle of support. So that's just something I would definitely another thing I would recommend to the listeners is find find you a few people that you can consider to be your circle of support or your accountability partners. Just someone you can reach out to when you're feeling a little low so that they can lift you up. Hmm. Okay. Speaking about a circle of people who can sort of hold you accountable and sort of lift you up, I want to talk about mentors because I know that's a very important thing in every artist's life. So can you tell me who your mentors are and then how you went about finding them and then how you go about building healthy, functional relationships with them? So one of my mentors is actually my producer, Kelvin Wooten. And that relationship happened extremely organically. And I think that's honestly the best way to find your mentors is allow those things to happen organically. So with Kelvin, uh, he actually attended my church and I was singing and he heard me and he he approached me and was like, hey, I see you have this gift. I would like to help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's literally how, the, how, it's, how it began. And since then, I believe that I want to say that that was 2010. When, when we linked up and now here we are 10 years later and he's still someone, yeah, I mean, he's still someone that I can reach out to when, when I need help with something or, or when I just don't know, you know, just those types of things. I would say that as we've gotten, you know, more busy because listen, Kelvin Wooten is that dude. If you don't know who he is, please look him up y'all. He is like that guy within you know, production. He's done stuff for Jill Scott, Anthony Hamilton, Raphael Sadiq. He he really is doing his thing out here. Um, but as we've gotten, you know, busier, I would say that our communication has kind of fallen off a bit. But I would say as the mentee, I try to make it my duty to reach out to him as much as possible so that he can know, hey, I'm still interested. I'm still here. I still, you know, want to learn from you. I still value everything that you say. He's probably my biggest, my biggest mentor. And just with fostering a healthy relationship, keeping, keeping the lines of communication open is extremely important. Now you write your own songs with Kelvin. He writes the beats, you write the lyrics and such. 
And you also sing songs that are written by other people. Like, for instance, you did a, a really great cover of, what was it? It was a Tina Turner song. It's escaping my mind. But you cover other people's songs as well. So what's the difference in singing and performing songs that you wrote and singing and performing songs that other people have written? Singing covers is fun. However, I think that it's very important when you sing the cover to keep a certain amount of integrity. Because, you know, I like to make songs my own. I am that type of girl. But at the same time, I think that there are still moments where you can recognize, oh, yeah, she's singing The Way by Jill Scott. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's important to do that because the, the songwriter wrote that song a certain way for a reason because they were feeling that particular way on a particular day. <laughs> so um, I think that's the biggest difference because when I'm singing my own music, it might come out the same as the record, but you know what? Tomorrow, it might sound completely different. And I like to be able to take those liberties on stage. Um, I like to be able to have that that freedom, you know, when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. So that that's I think that's the biggest difference. Okay. Okay. And another thing that I wanted to ask you was, so one thing that I noticed when I watched some of your live videos and live performances was that you have this sort of vibrancy about you. You have a stage presence. How did you develop that stage presence? How did you go about creating that vibrancy? One Christmas, my dad bought me every live Beyonce concert (laughs) on DVD. (laughs) I mean, from like her Dangerously in Love album, I want to say all the way up to like her album four. So I had four DVDs to watch at all times of Beyonce's live concerts. And I attribute this to how I found my stage presence, honestly. I watch those videos religiously. I know those live arrangements like the back of my hand because I watch them so closely. Mm -hmm. I watch the way that Beyonce would interact with the audience, the way she would speak in between songs. I mean, down to, to the nitty gritty of what was going on in those performances. And I think that's basically how I began to find myself. Yeah, honestly, I could say, I don't think I've ever really told that told that story before. But yeah, Beyonce definitely <laughs> was the one to help me find my stage presence. <laughs> do you still do that? Do you watch other performances and other artists to try to find out what they do and then replicate that for yourself? I, absolutely, absolutely. I, I watch different performances all the time, whether I'm trying to find different vocal techniques or performance techniques or just the way people do their arrangements. I think it's important to study. I am definitely a student of the craft at all the t- all times. Hmm, okay. And here's one thing I wanted to ask you. So how do you know when a song is successful? Like, how do you judge a song's success for you? You know, that is a, a loaded question. For me, a song that is successful is when I know that... Hmm, That's a good question. I would say that I know that a song is successful when people come to me weeks later and was like, girl, I was listening to Body Heat the other day and fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Or girl, I was listening to La 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 or girl, I showed La 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 too. That is when I know, okay, I think I'm on the right track here. I, I think I've had a successful song. I try not to base it off of numbers, even though that's how the industry is. But if, if I obsess over numbers, then I won't. be able to celebrate the accomplishment and so I I like to uh take it on a case-by-case basis with people like okay I think people are really rocking with the song the general consensus are is that people are rocking with it and so that's success to me okay and 
I know that earlier you said that you like to experiment and just sort of try out what you want, because why not? And I want to know, are you planning to experiment with the song dramas that you do or the things that you do within the songs at all? Absolutely. So for the second project that I want to put out, I really want to tap into the jazz influence a bit more. I want people to be able to hear that and pick that out. That's one of the biggest things that I want to experiment with. Yeah, yeah, I think that is. All right. And might I ask, why jazz? Why is that what you want to experiment with? Jazz is something I want to experiment with. It's because, first of all, I'm in school for it. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I want the I want the folks to know. <laughs> this is what I have spent this past four years, you know, dedicating my life to. But also just on a, on a more, like, serious note, though, jazz is extremely difficult. It's an intricate genre because it's different from any other thing I think I've ever studied in a sense of, like, you have to know your stuff to be able to sing jazz. It's not like gospel, like where you can listen to a gospel tune and just sing it. Jazz is like, you need to know the chords. You need to know the theory behind what you're singing. I just believe that jazz comes from a much more informed place. And so I want to be able to showcase that in my music, that I am an informed singer. I don't just arbitrarily sing notes because it feels good or it sounds fun. I mean, of course I want it to feel good, but I also want it to come from an educated standpoint as well. Mm. How much does theory play in your songwriting process? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say in my first album, I I had no theory. (laughs) No theory under my belt. I was, how old was I? I was like, like 13 years old. I was a baby. Now with this newer music that's happening or that I'm in the process of writing, it's playing a much bigger factor for me. I'm knowing these core changes. I'm knowing where I want it to go. I know now like, okay, I don't want this song to be in this particular key because I know what sounds good in my voice now. And so even if I, I haven't been able to completely dive into that jazz aspect, I'm still able to come from a more informed place vocally. I, I know exactly what I'm singing and I can sing this particular line over this particular set of chords. And so, yeah, it's just been extremely amazing to grow in my gift in my education as well and since you're about to graduate from Howard how do you plan on continuing this musical education outside of an academic environment so I like I said I've always been a student of the craft Mm -hmm. and so I think just continuing to like I said watch those videos and listen to artists that I've discovered throughout my Howard journey like so now I can add someone like Betty Carter to my list of of artists that I listen to Mm -hmm. and I can dig into her journey before I got to the collegiate level I actually would learn about an artist I would take an artist about a quarter so at one point I knew everything there was to know about Uh, Anita Baker and I I knew everything there was to know about Ella Fitzgerald and all of their top songs and hear some of their famous licks and you know just those type of things I take it that seriously because I think it's that serious like music is extremely important to transforming lives and so I feel like if I am an artist if I call myself an artist it is my duty to learn as much as I can about my craft so that I'm able to transform as many lives as I can well that's that's very diligent. That's very, very <laughs> diligent indeed. So one thing that I do want to ask is, and this is just about general performing again, what's your favorite venue that you've performed in? Like what, what gave you the best vibes in the space and so on? 
Let me think. I think that my favorite performance, honestly, honestly, was the Kennedy Center. And here's why. <laughs> there was just a certain level of professionalism that I don't think I had ever um, experienced as far as the lighting and, and the sound. I mean, I had to really prep for that show in a way I don't think I had ever had to prep before. It took a different type of discipline. I was writing out lighting cues. I was writing out sound cues. I mean, I had to, I had a lot being thrown at me for that particular show. And the vibes were super, super amazing. Everyone was super nice. Um, the crowd was singing along up on their feet the entire time. It was just a great energy within the space. And I know that you have mentioned a few times and it was mentioned in your bio that you're preparing for your second release. So can you tell us anything about that? Just give us a little sneak peek of, of something. Yeah, sure. Um, so for the second, uh, the second release, I can tell you guys that I am working with different producers now. Um, I'm actually collaborating on writing as well. So I'm not, I probably won't be writing them all alone. Um, so I think this second project, the biggest word that comes to mind is definitely collaboration mm. because with my first project and even the, the singles that have preceded this, this second release that I'm getting ready for were all Kelvin Wheeler. You know, like I just stuck to the, the, the formula that was working for me at the time. But I think now it's time for me to, to explore a bit more, you know, find different people that I can work with. So I'm excited about that. And I'm hoping to have some features on the album too. So that's Oh, <laughs> you know, you, you got to love a good feature. It really brings a nice tone and tenor to the entire thing. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm quite, quite excited. So we're at the last question. We're at the, we're at the end of the interview. And Halo. Obviously, you're very talented. You've been singing since you were a little kid, and you're just continuing to grow and grow and expand and experiment and become a more developed and more, more whole artist. And you're very clearly on your way to success. So I just want to know, how will you know when you've made it? You know, I've had people tell me, you never really arrive. You never, you never arrive. You're always learning. You're always stretching, and you're always growing. And so I'll let that be the period on on the sentence is that you you never really arrive. All right, all right. So could you tell the people where they can find you? <laughs> could you? Wow. Could you tell the people where they can find you in your music? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I hate to end it like that, but I mean, that's just what I've always been taught is that you never mm-hmm. really arrive. You're always st- growing and stretching. But the uh, listeners can find me everywhere at Halo Wheeler. Halo, like the halo on top of your head and wheeler like a four wheeler, like how we ride down here in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> And you have just finished listening to the last episode in the first season of On Their Way. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Bajo Alvarado, and the logo was created by Mako Corey. You can find out where to follow both of them and their amazing work in our show notes. If you liked our episode, show that love by rating or downloading our episodes, following us on IG and Twitter, at WithGoodCo, and telling your friends. Who among us doesn't love hearing about what our friends are into, honestly? If you like this show and you want to support us financially, go over to our website, wgcproductions.com, and buy some merch from our shop. Gotta be honest, the sweatshirts are deeply comfortable. You can also find episode transcripts and show notes at our website, wgcproductions.com. If you're a singer like Halo, those show notes are helpful because we like to put in some resources for singers to help you on your journey. And last things last, 
If you're thinking about creating something, anything at all, I really hope you go out and do it. I know sometimes it can be intimidating, God knows I know, but even just taking the smallest step can lead to a wave of internal liberation. After all, creating is a joy, and don't we all need a little bit more joy in our lives right now? Just think about it. Okay, make sure to follow us at WithGoodCo so you can stay up to date, and remember, take care of yourselves.